Pages of Pim Better Podcast. I often read of the haunts where my heroes spent their time. The places where artists and outcasts chipped away their late night hours. Patti Smith meeting Sam Shepard at the diner. Bourdain frequenting Manhattan's dives. It's the places where poetry was written, and stories were formed, bad decisions were made, and mad men and women became madder with every passing hour. My fascination with these places must have started in my teen years, going to punk rock shows in the city. You find an odd comfort in the dank, musty smell of basements, like the basement stage at the Knitting Factory. The free feeling of all ages shows at ABC No Rio, despite the rank odor rising from the writhing bodies of a hundred crust punks. American Legion halls, BFWs, ending the night at 24-hour diners where we're sipping coffee, eating burgers, sharing stories, and talking junk. These spaces weren't perfect. They definitely weren't polished or pretty, but neither were we, and they belonged to us. In my adult life, I continue to be gravitated towards the dives, the type of place where you can never tell what hour it is because it's always dark. Bathrooms covered in obscene graffiti and stickers, potentially dangerous elements lurking in corners, or people that are three sheets to the wind asking for a refill on the bar top. These places are a dying breed, an endangered species, killed off by the rising rents, tourism, and the over-sanitation of our shrink-wrapped Mickey Mouse culture. A perfect example of this death of originality is CBGB's shuttering up because of real estate pricing, and then becoming a brand that sold at a boutique in Newark Airport where you can buy a t-shirt for $40. Ugh. I've spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia, as you likely know. I've spent it in countries where everything seems to me to be unique, weird, original, and foreign. I've walked into so many establishments that checked off the boxes of the seedy, creativity-inspiring, wildly strange places that I love. So it may seem surprising to you, and remain surprising even to myself, that for me, the world's greatest dive exists in the coastal, calm, seaside town of Esauera on Morocco's west coast. The Atlantic town is known for its seafood and many artistic shops. I was there this past summer. You know, it wasn't a trip for partying. In fact, one morning when my partner Leslie and I woke up at our hostel in Casablanca, a man asked us where the party, party spots were. Leslie's response was, mm, I think maybe you've come to the wrong place. But on our second night in Nesuera, we wanted to have a snack and a drink on our hostel's rooftop. The moon had a hazy glow which illuminated the alleyways of the Medina. It was a perfect setting for a relaxed evening. After asking around, we were told that there was a place that would allow us to have takeaway drinks. A place called The Hole. GPS on Maps Me never seemed to work completely right in Morocco. We ended up down a side road in the Medina. A man with a wiry mustache, a white buttoned shirt, slowly crept past on a rusty creaking bicycle. Hash he both asked and declared while dangling a baggie of a mystery substance. No thanks. It's our automatic response to this question that we get asked many times each day. Well, what are you looking for? Do you know of a place called The Hole? He smiled and replied, yes. Follow me. 
We followed him around a left turn down an alleyway in the middle of the maze-like Medina. He stopped at a doorway which is actually a hole in the wall. It's a fitting name. We were greeted by the bar's bouncer. His torso squeezed into his buttoned-up Oxford, the long-sleeved shirt tucked into his khaki pants. His broad shoulders and thick biceps bulged to the point that he looked like an extra-large tube of toothpaste squeezed into a travel-sized miniature. He has a scar that's running from his right eye to his ear. It's deep. Yes, he questioned when we arrived. Uh, we'd like to go inside for a drink? He smiled warmly now and asked, Here? Yes, this is the hole, right? Yes, yes, come in. He led us to an empty table towards the back of the bar. If you need anything, just let me know. For the rest of the night, he hovers nearby. I'm later told that it's because he was looking out for us. We're foreigners and he wants to make sure that we're safe. I'm also told that there are fights every night and that when a fight breaks out, our bouncer friend is vicious, scary, brutal. Once he leaves, all eyes in the hole fall upon the two strangers from America. For the majority of our stay, Les is the only woman here. Immediately a man in a purple snapback baseball cap, likely in his 50s, maybe 60s, with a thick graying mustache and absolutely no English, begins chatting with Les. We mostly nodded our heads and we used hand movements to communicate, but he was slurring and the words came out all jumbled together. From time to time, he flashed us a thumbs up when someone got a bit too rowdy. It was his way of telling us, everything is cool, you're gonna be okay. I mean this in the most loving way, but this is the closest real life manifestation of the cantina from Star Wars. People were sitting in homogenous groupings around tables, whispering. The room had a constant fog of cigarette smoke as people from every table lit up. There was the old stale beer smell as the walls, chairs, tables, and floor absorbed thousands of spills over the years. There was the table of guitar-playing hippies, white expats with twisted dreadlocks and sandals on their feet. There was a group of men directed to our right, smoking shisha, staring at us, wearing the bright colors of West African flags. Eventually, a young woman arrives with a buzzed head. She was talking to a group of men who looked like every undercover CIA agent that's ever appeared in a Hollywood movie. They wore green cargo pants, sunglasses atop white baseball caps, large watches that looked like they could be drone remotes. At the bar top was a raucous group of older men. They kept patting each other on the shoulders and constantly shouting at each other. From time to time, their tone and movements became agitated and tension was built up in the room. These are the moments that our purple-capped friend flashed us another thumbs up and a toothless grin. It's okay, it's okay. The bartender was wearing a long-sleeved black tee. He was handsome, with slicked-back greasy hair. But he never cracked a smile or altered his deadpan face. He had to move quick. Beers here are much smaller than they are in the States, and people were drinking really fast. We started to strike up a conversation with a British expat. He was talking to us about the movies that had been filmed in Morocco. His movements were shaky, and he tended to take a long time to respond to questions. He was blinking a lot with a bit of a tick, but he was pleasant and friendly, and he shared wild tales of hijinks at the hole. 
At one point, a man asked me where I'm from. Before I could answer, he blurts out, Germany! Clinks his bottle against mine with a cheers. No, 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 I'm American. I had to shout over the Moroccan instrumental songs blaring out of the sound system. I have family there, but I'm, I'm from the US. The rest of the night, he points me out to his buddies as the German. Mm, I don't dare try to protest. Our bouncer friend brings us popcorn while we chat with our British expat friend. There's a point when a man in a tan blazer and a teal cap is just too far gone. His eyes, they keep closing, but he's staggering about, yelling at no one, and really everyone all at once. He's furious at the spirits in the walls, or he's just hitting the peak of madness. A few of his friends try to calm him down while our friend with the purple cap flashes us yet another thumbs up and mumbles some incoherent words. The man in the blazer, he's escorted out peacefully. Thankfully, because one strike from the bouncer would surely have done some damage that wouldn't be able to be fixed. A stray cat wanders into the bar, healthy looking for an alley cat, and it curls up in Leslie's lap. She feeds it popcorn and scratches its chin while it purrs itself to sleep. As I look around, I can't help but be enraptured by the scene. It's wild. It's interesting. I think of the tales of adventure that must have been shared within these walls. I think of the people, travelers, locals, criminals, junkies, spies, vagabonds. It's a conservative country without a real drinking culture. I'm told that people do drink, but that is just hidden. But still, most places we've seen here have been restaurants for tourists. Certainly nothing within the perimeter of the Medina. It's outlawed. So for the brief time we're at the hole, it feels like the only dive in the country. It seems like it's existing at odds with the culture of the country, a magical, potentially dangerous conglomeration of souls meeting at a moment of serendipity. As the hour hand moves back past 12, towards one and then two, on the lone analog clock in the joint, the air becomes a bit more tense. Our expat friend, who up to this point has been mild-mannered, he begins to spout out some racist thoughts. And honestly, it's really making us uncomfortable. It's at this time that we figure, hmm, it's best to leave now, or else we will be telling an entirely different tale about the whole. So we excuse ourselves, say goodbye, do that thing that travelers always do when saying, eh, I'll see you again next time, or we'll keep in touch and we walk out of the hole. We leave the light of the doorway, and we're out into the dark alleyway again, into the relatively cool breeze of an Esuera night. I'm no poet. I do my best with writing, but I can't put words together the way that my heroes do. But, you know, as we walked back towards our hostel, I couldn't help but wish that I could hear the voiceover Bourdain would have written about the hole if he had continued living and he had gone here. I think he would have loved it. In a world of selfies and social media, the whole offers refuge for those fleeing the reach of social media, Disney, CNN, and Fox News. Because when you step through the hole in the Medina wall, you enter into a world that is an anchor against the things that I don't like about modernity. 
It's the type of institution that's increasingly disappearing. It's a star in the constellations of the Moroccan nights, and it hasn't yet blinked out of existence. This is the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This episode was recorded on September 22nd at my apartment in Brooklyn, New York, but the stories were formed in July in Morocco. If you enjoyed this story and you enjoy the episodes and interviews and tales of my adventures, please consider joining up on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. It's a way you can give monthly to support this podcast and to keep the stories coming. That's all for this one, folks. As always, please take care of each other. I will see you next time.